0: Production Work as Worship. One of the saddest encounters I have had involving faith and work was with a fund manager running his own company. He was a Christian who had achieved great success in a difficult industry. His company was mostly made up of non Christians, but he told me that his faith was an integral part of his success at work. He prayed regularly about major decisions, he saw his success as a sign of God's blessing and he used his wealth to bless individuals in ministry as well as Christian organizations. I asked him how he managed to sustain his faith during tough ethical dilemmas in business, particularly when many of his colleagues weren't Christian. With pride, he said the following, My colleagues will tell you that I am no Christian pushover. I have a saying that when I walk into the boardroom, I check my faith at the door. The Great Divide, Separating Faith from Work. To check your faith at the door means that when you walk into that room where the biggest decisions are made, you are entering as less of the person you could or should be. It means that you have left behind the most important thing you possess, your connection to the sovereign God of the universe and the empowering of His Spirit. It means that you still think it is possible to live dualistically, separating your faith from your everyday life. It means that your whole company is missing out on the wisdom that faith brings. It means that your colleagues are missing out on a critical witness of the power of faith to transform every part of our lives, including how we make work decisions. Dualism is a very old problem for human beings. This thinking started through the writings of Plato, particularly the dialogue known as the Phaedo, where he describes the body as a hindrance to the person who wants to be wise. Plato argued that the senses are unreliable and that physical demands such as eating and drinking drain one's time, while passions and fear emanating from the body are enormous distractions. He argued that philosophers, those who pursue wisdom, should dismiss the body as much as possible. He separated soul and body, seeing the body as merely a vessel for the soul. The Bible is a lot more holistic in its treatment of human beings. In Genesis, God provides clothing for human beings after the fall, both for comfort and to remove their sense of shame. Most significantly, The concept of a resurrection of both body and soul rebuts platonic thought. The dangers of dualism. Gnosticism, in which the material world is shunned for the spiritual, has always been a threat to Christianity. It was rejected in its early form, where it denied that Jesus was fully human. After all, how could God restrict himself to the flesh? Yet we have a modern form, where we make distinctions between sacred and secular, Sunday and Monday, worship and work. The danger is that we think that our work doesn't matter to God. We think that God is only concerned with spiritual things like Bible reading, church services, mission activity, prayer, evangelism. I was once at a Christian student conference where the speaker declared that university studies were useful only as a context to evangelise. When the students graduate, they should immediately go to Bible college because God needed full-time workers for the gospel. He implied that secular work was worth nothing to God. The inference is that God doesn't care about what we eat, what we wear, whom we talk to, what we do or how we live. Or does he? Of course, God does care about every area of our lives. And the biggest demonstration of that is Is Jesus. God became flesh. Jesus came and lived among us. He ate and drank and spoke and made friends. He walked, he interacted, he died and he came back to life with a new body. So we have a choice. Do we pretend that our work doesn't matter to God? Do we check our faith at the door? Do we feel guilty working in our secular jobs rather than going to Bible college and doing gospel work? Or do we seek to worship God through our work? Do we seek to serve God and others in the way we work and the choices we make and in our treatment of other people? In effect, the choice is actually between worshipping work or worshipping God through our work. Because ironically, when we cut God off from our work, our diet, our relationships, we end up not making those things subject to his control. We may allow them to replace God at the centre of our decision-making, as the source of our identity, our pride, our security. We might worship the created thing rather than the creator. The dangers of worshipping work. The most common expression of worshipping work, rather than God through work, is the modern phenomenon of workaholism. In Australia and the US, it is common to work more than 50 hours a week. In Singapore, workaholism is an acknowledged problem, with the Singapore Business Insider reporting that 69% of Singaporean employees work after hours. They also take less holidays than most other nations and stay connected at work while on vacation. While an average workday in Australia and much of the Western world is 9am to 5pm, in Singapore it is 8am to 6pm. Possibly there is a bigger problem in China. China has the phenomenon known as 996, 9am to 9pm, six days a week. The impact of making work your God is significant. In August 2013, Kansas State University released research that identified reduced physical and mental well-being as a result of workaholism. This includes sleep deprivation, exhaustion and depression. Other studies have shown that workaholics are more likely to suffer from heart disease, stress, burnout and secondary addictions such as alcoholism. A 2009 study by Bakker et al. shows that workaholics will sacrifice personal relationships for their work. Workaholics worry about work while at home, give priority to work, and neglect their domestic obligations. Unsurprisingly, the partners of workaholics in the study recorded reduced relationship satisfaction. Work to live becomes living to work. The reality is that work was never meant to be the source of all our desire and satisfaction. Until recently, human beings had to work to live. We grew our food, we exchanged goods, we built shelters, and we made clothes for basic survival. With increasing wealth in many parts of the world, we now have the privilege of living to work. Work has become the potential source of meaning and purpose, not merely the means of earning enough to survive. The Bible teaches that work was created as a good thing. It is part of the way human beings were made in the image of a creative and working God. He made the garden and then placed human beings in it to work the ground and take care of it. All this was to be done in partnership with God, as revealed in the beautiful scene of Adam naming the animals in Genesis 2. Right from the start, the sacrifice system was a means of submitting our work to God, We were meant to bring the best efforts of our work and offer them in gratitude to God. In an agricultural society, that meant the finest animals and produce. Thus, Cain's failure to bring the best was deemed inadequate in Genesis 4, and his sacrifice was considered less worthy than Abel's. Much of the raging of the prophets in the Old Testament concerns a misuse of work, unjust measures in the marketplace, slavery, retaining rather than sharing wealth, greed, and charging of interest. These themes continue in the New Testament, where Paul tells us twice to submit all things to God, including, of course, our work. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, quote, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God and colossians 3:23 goes quote, "whatever you do work at it with all your heart as working for the lord not for human masters" god in our working a biblical view of work makes a real difference in our working the difference it makes in attitude and effect is massive The Gospel Coalition collects stories of everyday people who seek to worship God through their work. There is Mark, the chocolate maker, serving every customer with excellence, who upholds compassion and philanthropy as the foundation of his business. Faith is a freelance art director who works with integrity, cultivates a humble willingness to listen, and persists in the face of injustice. Ken, the judge, sees himself as a steward of justice under God for his purposes and under the people for their protection. Esther is a florist who bears God's image as a cultivator and considers the beauty of flowers as nourishing to the body and soul. Then there is Ricardo, a teacher who sees himself as an instrument God can use to help people learn and grow. We need to be conscious of God as the one we truly work for and ensure our work is brought under His sovereignty. We seek to serve Him in and through our working. While we work, every activity, every encounter, every word spoken or written is offered to God in gratitude for the privilege of working for Him and for others. Here is a prayer as you work. Dear Lord, it is so tempting to separate the spiritual and the everyday. We want to see you as special. We want to see your church, your word, prayer and faith as significant and different from the everyday. Help us to see that we can fill ordinary things with spiritual life by surrendering them to you and seeking to serve you through them. Take the ordinary work that we do, housework, study, paid jobs, volunteer work, caring fathers, as an offering to you. Help us to see the creative and meaningful ways we can serve you and others through our working. Amen. taking it further. In each chapter, I have a prayer, and I also have some questions to help you think a little more deeply about what has been written, and to also apply it particularly to your context. So here we go with some questions from the introduction. This chapter challenged the way we sometimes live dualistically. Is there an obvious or subtle way you make divisions of things into the sacred or secular? spiritual or material, good or bad? This is a hard question to think through. Uh, One of the things that always gets people I find when I ask this question is if I ask them whether they separate their music choices into sacred and secular. That is one area where we do it, I think, quite frequently. When Paul writes, he sometimes seems to make the same division between spiritual and fleshly living. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. Morgan Guyton has argued that this is not about spirit being good and flesh being bad, but about spirit-filled life versus spirit-empty deadness. What do you think of this reading of the text? Galatians 5, 16 to 25. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Just as an aside, um, I've done some further reading and analysis of this. um, And actually, there's a difference between uh, the idea of the flesh in the New Testament and the idea of the body, that the flesh is something that distracts us from God and his way. But the body is always used in positive terms. For example, that Paul calls the church the body of Christ. And that our bodies are called the temple of the Holy Spirit. Some things to think about in responding to that question. Reflection 3. Romans 12, one to 2 talks about our whole lives being lived in worship to God. Try and write these verses in your own words, incorporating your work, paid or unpaid. How would you think about those verses in your own words, thinking about the work that you do, thinking about who you are and how you can offer your work and your body in ways that please God in those circumstances. And reflection four, what work do you do and what difference does it make thinking of your work as an act of worship to God? And remembering that we're talking about all the work you do. Paid or unpaid.